Welcome to Design Talk. This season's theme is Designing Organizations. We'll be talking with entrepreneurs and product owners about building teams, shaping organizations, working with partners, suppliers, and customers. So hi everyone, this is On Speaking and I have me with me here today. Uh, hello, I'm me. Okay, so today we're talking with Nubi K. He's a startup programs lead at Paystack. Uh, thank you for coming here, Nubi, and being with us today. You're very welcome. So to start, uh, can you tell us a little about yourself and the background to Paystack? Yeah, sure. Um, so my name is Nubi. Uh, actually, my full name is actually Oluwa Kayode Nubi. Uh, but uh, just that's a, that's a mouthful. So uh, I just <laughs> simplify by saying Nubi. And uh, I think how that kind of like sticks is that um, you, you just met me. And so I'm the newbie. Uh, and so uh, people actually tend to remember the name from that. Um, yeah, uh, I'm a husband to. Um, I mean, I'm a. I mean, first of all, I, I'm, I'm a sort of. I, I'm an alumni of UCD, so I actually went to UCD um, Smurfit, but also got married to a UCD alumni as well, Nana Nubi, um, and we have like two wonderful daughters. Uh, I'm a strong believer in um, just the power of technology uh, and how we can uh, make our world better, and that's why I, I do what I do at Paystack, um, which is actually a fintech. Um, focused on enabling Africans to accept payments from anyone, anywhere. Uh, and I also, again, co-lead a, a community of operators and creators uh, at a company called Hulk, um to back early stage um, founders with early stage um, funding and investments um, who are building for Africa and the diaspora. Um, so yeah, uh, that, that's my um, that's like a, my background to get into Paystack. Um, again, I, I was born in Nigeria. Um, we had every summer as my father would get us, push us into like the computer store, whether to learn hardware or software. Um, and then I also went to Turkey for my undergrad that I did my, my first degree, uh, got exposed to the internet and just again, internet economy, um, go back to Nigeria, built my first startup, um, easy appetite, very similar to just eat, if you will, but I was back in 2010, 2011, um, Interesting journey, and then I ended up in Smurfit, um, where, like Alan mentioned, I applied to a competition with Accenture. Uh, it was uh, Leaders of Tomorrow with a, a colleague of mine at Smurfit at the, at the time, Alex Kearney. We, we won that competition, got into Accenture, and then I feel like, again, uh, worked on the FinTech Innovation Lab. That's where I got exposed to this whole world of FinTech, uh, that's financial technology. And then I was like, oh, why not just go work at a, a FinTech startup? Uh, and so I joined Stripe in 2016. Um, 20, um, uh, yeah, and then um, from Stripe, the goal was actually, again, help Stripe expand into Africa because Stripe in Dublin, actually the EMEA region, um, covers the EMEA region, so Europe, Middle East, and Africa. But uh, I think things didn't go as planned. Stripe instead acquired Paystack. And so now I actually moved from the Stripe side of the business after five years working in operations and sales to Paystack, where now currently lead startups programs. Yeah. Uh, hi, Nubi. And uh, what does being a startup program lead in Paystack involve? Yeah, uh, very interesting question. So I think, um, first of all, uh, it, was, it was a very open job description. It was just more like, Nubi, can you come help us do better with startups? Um, but I think what that made what made that possible was that again, um, I'd done program management at Stripe. So a program management is again where you actually like are designing um, 
programs and programs. I, I think the big difference between programs and projects is that projects are finite in nature. Uh, programs somehow just again just continue to evolve and and live on or outlive the program manager sometimes. Uh, and so I done that at, at Stripe, where I done program management within the operations uh, and strategy um, group. Uh, and so having that experience of again running programs as well as my experience being a founder uh, and working with startups in the in my sales role at Stripe as well was kind of like the what came together the intersect of that of again program management and sales uh, is what actually again um, um, brought about the role. Uh, uh, so like what it involves is um, three main things um, you want to enable um, so you want to engage so engagement is the first pillar of uh, of the programs. So engaging with startups, founders, other ecosystem stakeholders, whether it's investors, accelerators, uh, and the likes. Uh, enablement is the second pillar. So it's like, how can I actually help you solve a problem? Uh, whether it's, again, uh, with products, with content, with um, partnerships and relationships. Like, again, how do you enable growth? Um, and that's, that's, like, that's like a key metric for startups. Uh, and then the finance is actually conversion. Exactly the sales motion uh, of the program. So you engage, you enable, and you convert. Uh, and so those three things uh, are the kind of like the the moving wheels within the startups programs. Uh, like I said at the start, it's a it's a intersect or an hybrid between program management uh, and sales. So uh, talking about startups, are there other pathways for startups, or has a journey became a standard process? For example, from idea jam to incubator to accelerator, funding rounds, and so on. Yeah, um, that, that, that still remains a prevalent like, um, pathway. Um, so majority of startups will go through that cycle. So you have an idea, um, you try to validate that idea, whether it's again, putting out an MVP out there, um, spinning up a wait list, uh, and just again, trying to see, okay, is there something here? Uh, once you validated, you want to be an MVP, you want to start acquiring customers. Once you have that traction, then you start again, how do I scale this? Uh, as you go, from, you go from early stage to growth stage, you get investors um, coming and again, fuel that growth uh, with the hopes that yes, you actually live up to expectation, if you will, uh, for whatever valuation is placed on you. Um, and then you actually again, scale and, and go into late stage and see again, what other, what other opportunities um, exist as well. So that that is the prevalent way. But that's not the only way. There are other alternative ways. There are startups or founders who choose to bootstrap. Uh, we have founders who will say, I will not take any outside money. It's only going to be revenue that would actually drive this business. Um, there are other, um, um, again, founders who look for alternative funding sources rather than venture capital. Uh, and so maybe they're looking at the syndicates, they're looking at a, a group of a community, like I said, at the start of Collab, I run a community called Hoke, uh, which is like mostly made up of like professionals and operators um, pulling funds together to back founders. So there are some founders who are looking for that kind of capital rather than your regular VC or venture capital. Uh, so yes, uh, I think they are again increasingly becoming, uh, and with the rise of again <laughs> cryptocurrency and NFTs and all, there are founders who are just again saying, okay, do you know what? I'm going to actually just raise around through crowdfunding selling tokens um, uh, and things like that. So um, yes, um, again, like I said, after your question, the prevalent part still remains, have an idea, validate the idea, have a team around the idea, show traction, raise some funding to, again, fuel your growth. Uh, and then, of course, um, 
hope hope for the best. But that's but our founders increasingly are now. I mean, with the creator economy, with again distribution and just again different ways of uh, of business models, are now open to other ways of um, building that building that companies today. Um, and can you tell us a little bit, like, is there an entrepreneurial attitude or air that can recognize when you see it? Uh, that's a that's a very interesting one. Um, I think it, it's it's very subjective. Um, and so, for example, some like investors will say we have a particular thesis. We are investing in uh, a domain expert, so you actually are an expert in the area you're actually building. So, if you're building in healthcare. You must have had some like experience as a medical professional. Uh, if you're building in education, you must have again had some experience there. Um, so and, and that's again just again to mitigate risk as like again like you know how to like again navigate that that space. So some investors even have the anti- antithesis to that to say, as a domain expert, you're actually limited to how innovative you can become. So we want someone who's not who's not who's no domain expert and can just again come with that naivety. Um, to to come up with like interesting out of the box solutions as well, uh, and so um, it's very subjective. But for me, uh, and at least in the short spell that I've been doing some angel investing, which is really about eighteen to twenty four months, um, for me, conviction seems to be the um, the overhacking kind of like thing. Um, can you convince me that you are the right person to build this thing to solve this problem? And so it's like again asking those why questions, why this, why now, why you, uh, and so if a founder or an entrepreneur can actually again like like build up, build up, bring about conviction to me to say okay yes this is the right problem you're going after yes this is the right solution you're actually proposing and yes you are the right person to actually build this then for me that actually like again is the is the attitude or the uh, kind of like again um, benchmark if you will to say okay. Let's let's actually we'll like look at this even further, uh, and so again, like I said, very subjective. There's no silver bullets to seeing who will be a successful entrepreneur or not. But I think again, conviction. Are you able to build conviction because that really matters. Building conviction with your investors, building conviction with your team because you're gonna have to build a team and get people on the journey with you. Building conviction to your customers to actually say yes, we're gonna use this product. So can you build that conviction? And if the answer is yes, then yes, uh, I think it's worth taking a bet on such a founder. Okay, so when we talk about uh, startups in Nigeria, do you think that uh, those ideas can really impact the technical world? Yes, um, it's it's very need-based um, driven. I think that's, that's a very um, perhaps differentiating factor in technology in um, um, in the Western world versus like Africa or imagine, let me, let me just let me just like imagine our frontier markets like Nigeria, Brazil, like Latin America, Southeast Asia, some part of our South, Southeast Asia as well. It's very need based driven. And I think perhaps Silicon Valley and the rest have perhaps, again, this is an assumption, address the core needs. And it's more like of a, how do we enhance living? How do we make things more convenient? Um, so a door dash. Is great in the US, but I know we need resonate in Africa because, like, yes, I'd rather go my food myself or just walk to the kitchen or walk down those down to the kind of shop to pick up something to eat. And so it's like, what are those again, like, big needs? And again, it comes down to again, health, education, commerce, things that are just again very core and uh, to it's like just living. 
Uh, and so opportunities in, in the tech space in Nigeria uh, revolve around those things. So who's building the financial infrastructure? Uh, who's building health? Who's fixing building things for healthcare? Uh, like Ilium Health, for example, is about digitizing healthcare data. Um, that's a that's a, again a, 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 an opportunity. Uh, education, like does uh, going to class six for six years and then three years and then three years does that really work? Or can I fast track people because again Africa has a young population. Uh, I mean, a massive young population and, and exactly forecasted that in 2050 or so, one in every three people, young person in the world will be from Africa. And so it's like a thing of like, how do I educate this massive number of people? Is the model that we have today broken? Is it physically like for pop? Is it, uh, does it, is it for, uh, does it fit the needs of what we have on the continent? Um, so education, health, um, finance, those things are the massive opportunities that we see. And, and, it, and it, it shows in the funding. If you look at where investor money is actually going to in startups, fintech is a big chunk of that. Last year, almost 70% of all the funding, about $4.9 billion, uh, went into fintech and then followed by health tech, agri-tech, uh, and other kinds of um, um, spaces as well. So yeah, I, I would say the opportunity really lies in those, again, economic economy building, just massive um, kind of like um, movements uh, and um, impact. Uh, kind of like a, a, um, areas, yeah. And uh, how how does being a startup in Dublin, Lagos, and San Francisco, San Francisco compare? I think Dublin is quite interesting because um, it's a it's a market where it's like starts like the the gap between starting and scaling or expansion is really rapid. So it's like you start and in a few months, if not weeks, you're thinking. How do I get to London? How do I get to the rest of Europe? How do I get stateside? That's to the US as well. Because it's a very small market. Uh, and while it's a good place to actually incubate, and the ecosystem is quite like rounded, so you have a good um, set of investors, you have accelerators, you have, um, I mean, the stakeholders that actually are required to actually, again, uh, for the startup ecosystem in, in Dublin is very rich. Uh, and so you are an email away, a phone call away, an introduction away from your next investor. Like it's it's crazy. Like just walking to UCD or Trinity College or MDRC. Like it's so small. Like the time you go to like startup events one, two, three times, you you know everybody <laughs> in all of Dublin and Ireland. Uh, and so I think that richness is really good. But again, the market is quite capped. That you're thinking from day one, how do I expand? How do I build for the global markets? And um, so you're thinking expansion. You're thinking. Um, uh, remote hiring, you're thinking like again, distribution and things like that, partnerships that help you for, to scale geographically. Um, for Lagos, that's not really the case. I mean, Lagos alone is a city of 19 million people, one nine or 19 million people. I mean, that's multiple times of Dublin uh, or Ireland. And so you can really say, okay, I want to build for Lagos. Not even Nigeria as a country, just the one city, one, one state in Lagos is enough market for a founder. But at the same time, I mean, people still are ambitious and said, you know, I want to be for Lagos, I want to be for Nairobi in Kenya, I want to be for Cape Town in South Africa, because perhaps, again, the similar problems and similar dynamics exist in all those markets. And like I said, for San Francisco, the big difference, again, I see is like just oversupply of funding. <laughs> so it's like uh, so much money chasing, so little startups, so few startups as well. And again, it's a very like about, it's about enhancement. How do I make things just a little bit better? Uh, and not uh, really like foundational or fundamental. Not, not, not to say that that's uh, uh, always the case. Of course, people are still building transformational things out of out of Silicon Valley. But again, like I said, it's more need based in, in again emerging markets like Lagos. 
um, versus like a somebody school that's quite, quite matured and advanced as well. Um, can you talk about the opportunity for technology startups in Nigeria? Nigeria's banking infrastructure, for example, is one of the most advanced. Uh, um, you have instant like settlements. Uh, you don't wait like I mean, Ireland interbank in Ireland is still that you're still waiting two days, three days um, for it to, for the funds to settle in, in the recipient's accounts. In Nigeria, it's, it's instant, and that's because again there was there's a need base that's like trust is very, very low trust environment. And so if I say I sent you money, um, <laughs> that money has to be there immediately. You can't tell me it's going to arrive in two days' time. Do you see that those startups have the potential to impact the rest of the tech world? Uh, we've seen that. Tr- I mean, we've seen all that um, mature economies now looking to say, do you know what? Like, that makes sense. That's just, that's better. Uh, and so let's start adopting this, I mean, similar innovations as well. Um, Notification is another example. It's so small, but again, like every time somebody takes money from your bank account or puts money into your bank account, you get an SMS saying money is coming. That's not the that's not the case in most of Europe. Like you have to go check your account: is the money there or not? But then we've seen that changing. I mean, Germany in other countries have started adopting again, notifying customers of just account activity and things like that. And Pesa is a, a, a an example as well of mobile our mobile money has just transformed. Um, the world, especially again, imagine imagine economies like again Latin America and Southeast Asia and Indonesia and all, and that all started from Kenya. And then it was a need based innovation. People went to war and they had, and they had to again send money back back to their families uh, in the villages and all, and that actually created a new way of doing that. And that became M-Pesa. But then the war ended, and people were like, "This is still this still makes sense. Mobile money, sending money just using your phone number. And I don't I don't, I don't open a bank account." Just my phone number, I can create a bank account and I can start sending and receiving money. And now we see the world that actually, again, started to adopt that. Uh, so you can see people like Cheaper Cash, uh, uh, a US-based yet African company, um, raising um, money from FTX and all and value that at um, about $3 billion, uh, $2 billion um, as, a, as at a few months ago. So uh, yes, innovations, again, need-based innovations are, are, are very important because not only does it solve problems for the immediate folks, but again, people, like again, from a trend um, point of view, start to see a lot of value in it and want to adopt the goods and, and again, the, the um, adopt, that, uh, I mean, upgrade their existing systems or, or processes where that actually makes sense or is a better, a better solution, yeah. So uh, you said that the finance startup in, uh, is one of the promising sector in uh, Nigeria. So uh, what is the possibility to scale up to Africa after you are successful in Nigeria? The, the, the truth is that like Africa, I mean, Africa is not a country, so I'm going to start with that. So you can't just say um, um, what works in Nigeria will work in Ghana. And we've seen a lot of like, startups make that mistake. They're like, I mean, Ghana, is, they speak English. It's just next door. I would expand there and just go launch my app or launch my service there. And they feel very, very woefully because again, they, they take, they take, I mean, they've removed the cultural context and again, how people pay. For example, in Nigeria, the pre, the most prevalent way of people making payments is through bank transfers. So like, you know, you send money from iBank to iBank through your, your mobile banking app. That's the most prevalent way, not even cards. Cards is like maybe second uh, or third on the list. Um, is bank transfer is the most prevalent way of paying. Um, but if you go to Ghana, mobile money is the most prevalent way. Like if you go to any shop, any store, any till, it's like, yes, like just send me mobile money, like whether it's through MTN or, or Airtel uh, or other, other telco networks. 
But if you actually had gone to from Nigeria to Ghana and offered bank transfers, like you would have failed woefully. But that's like the third um, or even the fourth preferred method of payment. Exactly, mobile money, um, cash, um, cards, and then um, bank transfers. And so really understanding the cultural context and again, how people pay, how people do business, how people transact, how people buy, uh, is very, very important. And so, yes, it's good to look out for other opportunities, to look for similarities. And you'll be shocked that it's, uh, uh, Nigeria, <laughs> going from Nigeria to, to Mexico might actually be more reasonable than going from Nigeria to next door Ghana. <laughs> because again, in Mexico, they have similar, like again, um, economies, similar, like, purchasing like um 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 behaviors and things like that and so yes i, th- I think yes um africa is is massive the opportunities are, 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 are enormous uh, there are moves like again by things like the uh, african trade act to again unify the, the the continent um by currency by trading agreement and all but at the same time i think the cultural nuances are still very important and so i'll say yes factoring that while thinking about expansion uh, will be my recommendation yeah so um, do you think that COVID has really impacted a new venture investment? Has they slowed down? No, I, I think the opposite, actually. Um, so we, at the, at the start of COVID, there was panic, of course, like as you, as any market, demand supply marketplace would be, like, what does this mean? Uncertainty. And so we saw investors, first of all, I mean, and rightfully so, said, we'll just take care of our own. We'll not write new checks. We just look at our portfolio, see who needs help, who needs to shut down. I mean, imagine you were like in the tourism space, um, like a hospitality startup, like that would have been brutal. So how can we again, like devise new business models? Like we saw Airbnb started offering like longer stay, one month and things like that. So like, how do we take care of our own? Those we already invest, how do we scale our investments? And that happened for like the first three to six months. But at the same time, there was also an interesting trend of like again, people were saving more, so people were more like people had, people had more liquidity. A lot of gov- governments were giving um stimulus checks and all, and so there was a lot of like, spending power uh, at the same time. And so we're like, wait, that, this might be a good time to feel like again, also just start funding people building for this new normal. And so you saw like virtual um classes, home schools, um Zoom exploded. Uh, people were saying, okay, what opportunities exist? Virtual concerts. Um, I mean, metaverse exploded as well as, as a result of COVID, uh, and so it was like investors were like, okay, what is wait, what is the opportunity in this new situation that we find ourselves? And so a lot of investment activity resumed, um, and it's crazy because again, like a lot of investors would not write a check until they meet people in person, and so that I come to our office, we meet in a bar, or we actually like again, there has to be that physical connection. But again, because of COVID, a lot of investors had to just do these things over Zoom. And so send me your pitch deck, send me your deal room, um, Google Drive, our review, we'll make a decision, we'll wire the funds to you. And that became habitual as well. And so investors that founders will have naturally not had access to at all, they now have access to them. So we have an African founder on a Zoom call with an investor in Colombia or like in, 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 in the most stringent, I mean, you would, you would even think to go look for capital in such places. But now, because again, it's all virtual, there's actually even more, like again, supply of capital. And again, just an interesting trend of matching founders to investors that, that would never have happened pre-COVID. So yes, there was an initial slowdown, just again, that's like what's going on, let's actually like understand. 
But after that panic was again the new the new normal, as they say, was in place. We saw accelerated um, investment, and we said like in Africa, for example, again like Africa in 2019 saw like about two billion in in funding in 20 uh, sorry in 2020 in 2021 that was about 4.9 billion, and it's estimated that that will actually go to 10 billion this year as well. And that's because again when things are even opening up. Investors are not going back to say, I have to meet you in person. They're still having the in-person meeting where possible, but they're also doing virtual due diligence and actually still writing checks to founders that they might never meet for years and years to come. And uh, what does a virtual due diligence look like from the investor and the founder's point of view? Yeah, so I'll just speak from like Hulk. Um, so like I said, Hulk is a community of um, uh, operators and professionals and, and creators who come together, pull funds, and, and invest in, in early-stage startups. And how due diligence actually works for us is uh, we have two parts, a two-part due diligence. So there's a part where the like myself and Joey, who are like managing partners at Hope, we just source the deal um, and then match the deal against our thesis um, to say, unfortunately, I can't share my screen right now. I've actually showed you <laughs> the flow charts of like how we actually like, again, the the life cycle of a deal from sourcing the deal to actually like going to portfolio management. And like I, I can send that, send that email, I send that to, to um, Alan afterwards to share with you guys. But again, it's like, again, sourcing the deal, matching against um, thesis to say, okay, does it actually meet our thesis of investments? And for Hope, that's again, technical expertise, domain expertise, large opportunity, traction. Um, and, and, and so we look at those four things. Um, if it's a yes, then we meet the founder. We have a, a meeting with the founder, um, get to understand their motivations. Again, asking those questions: Why you? Why now? Why this? Um, if if we have that conviction, then we write an investment memo to again, just again, bring it to the community. So a, a pitch deck is what the founder develops. Uh, an investment memo is what the, uh, an investor should actually write uh, to take to a community. And so we take the deck from the founder, an investment memo from us, and take it to the community to say. Guys, we're looking at this deal. Are you interested? Then they actually um, they actually say yes, we're interested. They commit the amount without the founders, and then we go to enhance due diligence. And this is where we actually start asking for um, just like again testing the product, asking for a reference because again integrity is a very big part of like <laughs> um, funding. Like it's like are you who you say you are? Are you going to do this money? Like what's your character? Like what do people know you for? So we do those reference and again background checks, um, fin- financials and things like that, and then we deploy. Um, cap- all, if all things are good, we deploy capital to the founders, uh, and then we go into portfolio management, which is where again we have like quarterly, monthly or quarterly updates where they tell us how things are going and how we can help, and then we again um, mobilize the community to help with those needs as well. So from a founder's point of view, it's really about again finding the investors that again um, they want. To actually invest in them early and again pitching giving them send it send it a deck if it's a warm intro the better but if not again just send it send your your pitch deck to the fund to the investor um and we'll be, if, there's a, if, there's, if there's an interest there's a meeting that happens um and then again with due diligence happening again that 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 deal happens from, from an investor's point of view you're actually also sourcing deals you're not, not waiting for inbound you're actually looking for interesting founders and saying okay what are you building um, can you send a deck um, and the deck again matches your thesis you go to actually draft an investment memo meet the founder build conviction um, 
open a capital call to the community or your, or your limited partners, if you will, from traditional fund, and then uh, you deploy capital and move into portfolio management. So that's the how it differs from from the founder on investor lens. Well, uh, so we will wrap up there. Thank you, Nubi, for sharing your thoughts and experience today. It's a very helpful for us, and thanks again. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening to Design Talk. The music used is Check Them In by Emma Grace. Credits and links in the show notes. Thank you.